Amen. We're going to focus on Advent for just a few minutes here. If you'll remember, last Sunday was the first Sunday of Advent, and we're going to focus on what our second candle represents this morning. And you know, as I said last Sunday morning, sometimes when we think about Advent, especially during this Christmas season, as busy as it is, there are things scheduled probably in your life, in your personal schedule. You could easily have one, two, or more things scheduled each day from here to Christmas. And if we're not really careful, we will take the focus off of Jesus Christ. And the other thing that we can be tempted to do at this time of year is think about Jesus only as a baby in the manger. And the challenge throughout this season will be, let's not do that. Let's not leave him in the manger. So if you remember from last week, the first candle focused on hope or promise. We talked about the fact that through Jesus, we do indeed have hope. I wonder, do you have that hope today? Do you know him today? Today's focus, the second Sunday of Advent, is preparation. I'm going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, that says, A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know, there was indeed preparation that occurred prior to the birth of Jesus Christ. Prophets foretold it. And then years later, John the Baptist prepared the way for the ministry of Jesus Christ Here on the earth, that ministry, that message was of eternal salvation. And I wonder, as we focus on preparation today, what are we as a church? What are we as Greensburg Baptist Church doing to prepare our community and the world around us for the second coming of Jesus Christ? And I think before we can answer that question, we must first begin with ourselves. What are we doing personally in our lives, in our families' lives, to prepare ourselves, our hearts, for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Do we have time for Him? Or are we too busy? Are we too busy being festive and saying we're celebrating Christmas when we're actually celebrating everything but Jesus Christ? Let's not leave him in the manger this Christmas season. Let's prepare ourselves, not only for Christmas, but for the second coming of Jesus Christ. This morning we are continuing our journey through the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 3. This morning going to be looking at the first ten verses. And I'd encourage you, if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and find 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. While you're turning there, I just want to remind you of the context of this book. John wrote it 
Uh, so we're in the time period of AD 70 to 95, AD 95. And there is a theme, a recurring theme that appears all throughout this book. And it's this, God is light and God is love and believers show their love for God by loving one another. And I think I asked this question last week. As people look at us, as the outside world looks in, do they see that we have love for one another? Do they see that through that, that we have love for God? And I pray that the answer to that is yes. So if you are physically able to stand right now, and I invite you, like I typically do, to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And I do want to remind you, this is indeed the Word of God. First John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does, does not love his brother. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I thank you for another opportunity together this morning as a church to open your word and to take a step into it. And Father, now as I typically pray at this time, I pray that you will hide me behind your cross. But I pray that your anointing will be upon me. I pray that every word that comes out of my mouth will be directly from you. Lord, I pray now that you will just limit distractions of the outside world. Lord, I pray that our focus will be upon you and upon the cross. Lord, I pray right now for, for people who might be hearing my voice right now that do not have a relationship with you as their Lord and Savior. Father, may your convicting power fall this morning. May we leave here rejoicing about the great things that you have done. And may Jesus be forever glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this morning's message is Let No One Deceive You. 
Now, the first thing that we're going to see this morning in verses 1 through 3 is that God's love for us is great. And you may remember that I, I said some things in the very first sermon, and even the last time I said, you know, just when you hear those statements, you're probably hearing it and thinking, that should be a given. And yes, it should be. But sometimes as humans, we need a reminder. And I want to remind you this morning that God loves you. On your best day, He loves you. On your worst day, He loves you. And on every day in between, He loves you. And perhaps this morning, you are wondering, just how much does He love me? Just how much does God love me? Well, let me answer that question for you, just in a very simple way. He loved you so much that He was willing to send this little baby that we are celebrating coming into the world at Christmas time named Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. He loved us so much that He was willing to send His only precious Son to the cross for you and for me. That is the kind of love that God has for you this morning. And we should rejoice in hearing that. We should rejoice in hearing that. Now this morning, I'm going to go back really quickly to the last two verses in chapter 2. And the reason that I am doing this this morning is because these two verses introduce us to the primary concerns that's going to be addressed in chapter 3. Now if I had to choose one overall point of chapter 3, it would be this. True followers of God will not intentionally live in sin. True followers of God will not intentionally live in sin. Look here, John tells us, And now, little children, abide in Him. Abide in Him. Again, if we truly abide in Him, we will not intentionally live in sin. Now remember, you probably remember that I said in the very first sermon in this series that there are a lot of people in our world today that abuse God's grace. They treat it something like this. You know what? I'm going to sin anyway. I'm just going to go ahead and sin and God's grace will cover me. He'll be okay with it. If you are treating God's grace like that, it is dangerous, church. It is dangerous. And if that, if what I've just said describes you, I think you need to ask yourself a serious question as to have I actually experienced God's grace in the first place. Now look at this. John does not just say abide in him. He doesn't stop there. There is a so that that appears after that. And it's this, so that when he appears, when Christ appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And I'm going to tell you, there are so many people in our world today, there are many people in Greene County that believe falsely that the way one gets to heaven is simply to do more good things than they do bad. And that is a lie directly from Satan himself. There is a huge difference in practicing righteousness and doing good things. They are not the same thing. We are not talking about doing good deeds here. We are talking about 
practicing righteousness this morning. And I suspect, I suspect on the day that Jesus comes back, that there will be many people who are nervous at His second coming. You know, true believers in Jesus Christ, true followers in Jesus Christ, they have no reason to be nervous. But I suspect that there will be many people on that day that will find out that they had entered that wide gate, the one that leads directly to hell and destruction. What about you this morning? Are you certain? Are you absolutely certain that you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? You've heard me say many times that eternity is an awfully long time to be wrong. Now remember, God's love for us is great. John's very clear here, the kind of love that the Father has given us, that we we should be called children of God. Now I want to be sure that you caught. He does not say that we could be called, we might be called. He says we should be called children of God, dear to the kind of love the Father has given us. That's significant. God has made us His children. And then John says the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. The reason that the world does not know us is because it did not know Him. And the context that this is used here, it's really the same thing as saying the, the reason why the world does not accept us is that it did not accept Him. Now, although true believers of Christ are indeed children of God, there are some things that I don't think our earthly minds can truly grasp the magnitude of or the full significance of as to what it means to be one of God's children. We can grasp a little of it right now, but the day is coming when we will stand before Jesus face to face. And on that day, we are going to understand so much more than we understand right now. And I want to give you just a a quick illustration that happened to me on Friday of this week. Many of you know that I graduated from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary on Friday. It was the end of three years of hard Work And I will tell you, God was so faithful during that journey. Many of you have been so faithful along the way to pray for me, to pray with me, and to encourage me. And there is no way that I could sufficiently say thank you for that, for what that has meant to me. But on Friday, they had us lined up in a building that was near the chapel. We were in two single-file lines. And about five minutes before the service was to start, they had us to walk out of that building in two single-file lines and to walk toward the chapel. And on that moment, something happened that I wasn't prepared for. As soon as we started to go out of the building, there were staff on both sides, and they started applauding, they started cheering. And I became so emotional in that moment that I could not contain myself to know that the journey was coming to an end. And then we walked into the chapel, and it was filled with people from all over the world that were singing at the top of their voices, 
praising and worshiping Jesus Christ. And I was emotional then. I couldn't even sing most of the time because tears were running down my face. I thought that in that moment, I wonder, is this what heaven's like? And the answer to that is no, because heaven's going to be so much better than that. But there, there will be people from every tribe and every nation. They will be at the feet of Jesus, worshiping Him. And then I wonder, after we see Jesus face to face, after we hear Him say, well done, my good and faithful child, entering in, I wonder if there will be those people that we love on the other side, clapping We are so glad you're here. We are so glad you're here. We will understand it so much better then than we understand it now. Look at what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Are you experiencing that transformation, church? It's supposed to start right now at the moment of salvation. That transformation is supposed to be happening in our lives. Is it? Is it happening in your life right now? That transformation from one degree of glory to another. That process of transformation that we're talking about, it seems slow now. But when we see Jesus face to face, it's going to happen quickly. And on that day, it will be complete. And now let's not miss the fact that we're supposed to experience that right here while we're here on earth. And if we do that, our desire will be to live lives that are pure and holy. We will want to be pure. We will desire to be pure. And let me ask you the question, why will we do that? It's because the one that we are following is pure, he is blameless, and he is holy. I wonder this morning, do you want to be? Do you want to be? And the remainder of our text today, verses 4 through 10, we're going to see that these verses support the statement, true followers of God do not willfully live in sin. Now, as we look at this section of verses, they can be alarming. I want you to listen closely to me for a few minutes, church. We live in a world that is absolutely infested with sin. It's in every direction that we look. So do these verses that are on the screen right now, do these verses suggest that true believers will never sin? Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe so. I do not believe that that's the intent of these verses. And I hope that when you hear that this morning, you are thinking in your mind, praise the Lord, that that's not what these verses suggest. But I think we've got to look at this closely. It does indeed say everyone who makes a practice of sinning. A practice of sinning. Church, listen to me. There is a big difference in committing a sin, feeling conviction for it, and asking for forgiveness for it. There's a big difference in what I just described between that and intentionally living a life of sin. Those are two separate things. 
But I do want you to hear me this morning. If you are able to commit sin and you feel absolutely no guilt for it, if you feel absolutely no remorse for it, if you feel absolutely no need to repent, if you just think, oh, it's a sin, it's a sin, God's grace is going to cover me, then there's a problem. There's a problem. You could easily find yourself in that category of one who makes a practice of sinning. Now, John reminds us here that Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. And in Jesus, there is no sin. And then John reminds us here that if we are truly in Christ, if we abide in Him, we will not keep on sinning as far as this habitual practice of sinning. And if we, if we do, if we do, continue this habitual practice of sinning. I want you to hear me this morning. There's a big problem. There is a big problem. You need to be evaluating whether or not you truly know Jesus Christ. But I want to offer some good news today. Until the day that we stand before Jesus Christ face to face, remember that we are living in this fallen world that is absolutely infested with sin you're going to experience a battle with the flesh. You are going to. That's what Satan wants to happen. There is a continual battle with the flesh that's going on. But here's the good news. Seek Jesus. Seek Jesus. He is absolutely sufficient. Seek Him. I wonder this morning, do you know Him today? As we look at our final section of verses uh, 7 through 10, I've got 7 and 8 on the screen right now. It seems almost as if John is repeating himself. In fact, he is. That's exactly what he's doing here. He's dealing with some important information, and he wants to be sure we get it. He wants to make sure that we don't miss it. He wants to be certain that we understand the seriousness of our sin. Verse 7 is a warning. What is the warning? It's a let no one deceive you. Let no one deceive you. Can I tell you something this morning, church? There are a lot of people today who have been deceived by the enemy. Just like the climate, when John wrote the letter, people had been deceived by false teaching. And guess what? It's still happening today. There are people who preach a message that sounds good, but it is not supported by the Word of God. And unfortunately, some people will be deceived. They will believe that false teaching they will believe lies, and they will believe deception. And then to contrast that, at the end of verse 7, John reminds the reader that whoever practices righteousness is what? Righteous. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. Now again, we must understand that simply doing things that are good, simply doing things that are right, does not make a person righteous. But can I tell you this morning who can make you righteous? His name is Jesus Christ. And again, I've got to ask you this morning, do you know him? Because here's what I do know. It is not possible to claim that we know him 
and intentionally make the decision that we're going to live in sin. You're doing one or the other. You cannot do both at the same time. I wonder which are you doing this morning. Now verse 8 makes it clear where sin is from. Excuse me here. It's of the devil. It is of the devil. It never ceases to amaze me. Of this, Perhaps you've had some of these conversations, too, with people. Have you ever talked to someone who was clearly living a practice of sin? And they tell you that God told them it was okay? I have. I've had many of those conversations over the last ten years. People who are intentionally living a life of sin... And they somehow try to justify it because they somehow believe that God told them it was okay. Let me tell you what's happened in those situations. They have heard the voice of Satan. And they have confused the voice of Satan with that of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will never tell you that sin is okay. He will forgive you from your sins. But He will not tell you that they're okay. So please, please... If you ever are in a conversation with somebody who says, you know, Jesus told me it was okay, point them to Jesus. That is an open door for you to walk through and show them who Jesus Christ is because they clearly need to be introduced to Him. Verse 9 says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been Born of God. Have you been born of God? Again, remember that we're either living for Christ or we're not. It's one or the other. Which is it for you this morning? Then finally, verse 10. By this it is evident. Evident. Now remember, this is God's Word that says this. By this it is evident who are the children of God. It's also evident who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Remember what the theme of this book is. Is it obvious when the world looks at us as a church? Is it obvious that we love each other? It should be. But the question is, is it? Is it obvious that we love each other? I wonder this morning, do you know Jesus? As we look to the invitation, that is the most serious question that I can ask you. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? If you don't, I would love, I would absolutely love to introduce you to Him today. Remember, It is the process that I have said so many times. It's the ABCs that that we teach children in Bible school. We've got to be willing to admit that there's sin in our lives and that sin has caused a separation between us and Jesus Christ. We've got to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that He had an earthly ministry on this earth. He was tempted, but he rose above it. We've got to believe that everything that the Bible says is true. 
We've got to be able to do that. And then we've got to confess. God's Word tells us we must confess. And that confessing involves turning and repenting and following Jesus. I wonder, have you done that this morning? Have you done those things this morning? Perhaps you're here this morning and you're carrying some type of burden that you just simply need to lay at the feet of Jesus. This morning would be a fine time to do that, to let Christ carry that burden for you. And maybe this morning, through the sermon, you've come to realize that you've been abusing the grace of God. If that's the case this morning, I I encourage you to come forward and just kneel at the altar. Give that burden to Jesus. Remember, Christ is sufficient. He is sufficient to forgive every sin. But let's not abuse His grace. Let's live lives that are holy, that are pure, that are blameless. Let's follow Jesus. Let's not follow the world. And again, in this Christmas season, let's not leave Jesus in the manger. Let's prepare for the second coming. Let's prepare our families for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's prepare this church for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's prepare this community for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's prepare this state, the nation, and the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming again. And what a day that will be for the true believer in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for one more opportunity to open your word. But I pray that this morning, during this time of invitation, that you will move mightily. Lord, I pray that that we will see you just do great and mighty things in this place. Lord, I pray that if if there is anyone here that that is hearing my voice right now that does not know you truly as their Lord and Savior, Father, may this be the day that we see you save and set people free. Lord, I pray that we will go from this place proclaiming, we've heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. Father, will you send a great revival to this place, to this church, to this community, to our state, to our nation, and to our world. Lord, may we seek you and not the things of the world. Father, for people who are here this morning who are carrying burdens by themselves, Father, I pray that this will be the morning that we give those burdens to you and realize that you're sufficient to carry those burdens and that we can't do it alone. Father, if there are other people that have needs here, whatever that need may be, Lord, I pray that those needs will be laid at your feet. Father, may you do the immeasurably more today. Lord, may we leave here rejoicing and praising you. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray these things. Amen.